Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Salutations and welcome to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com in association with Manscaped. Do not adjust your earbuds, ladies and gentlemen. It is me, I, Craig Storrad, filling in for our regular host and dear leader, Andy, who is currently sequestered in a top secret location somewhere in North Yorkshire where he is diligently preparing his Smith-out bedsheet should Aston Villa's top four finish in the 2021-22 Premier League season fall flat. Today, I am joined by our resident Trezeguet fanboy and Twitter blue tick champion, Daniel Betridge. Hello, Dan. Hey, Craig. How's it doing, man? Hi, everyone. It's just you and me today, Craig, and, and no Andy. God knows what we're going to get up to. It's like when the teachers have left the classroom and you get up to all kinds of mischief. It is. We're going to all oil ourselves up and we're going to have a Trezeguet versus <laughs> El Ghazi mud wrestling match for you live. We're not really. And, but if we did, I would, be, I would be obviously be El Ghazi and you can be Trezeguet. I mean, thank God this is audio. That's a picture that our listeners do not need to see. Hey, you never know. You never know. All right. So today we are, whew, it's going to be a busy show. So less of me chatting. Let's get on with it. It has been an incredibly busy week aboard the good ship Aston Villa. As the last few days have seen assistant head coach John Terry leave the football club. Jack Grealish's Man City rumours reaching a fever pitch. The Brazilian double trouble as Wesley and Douglas Luiz both see red. Emil Smith-Rowe committing his future to Arsenal. And Villa strongly linked with a move for Bayer Leverkusen's Jamaican international Leon Bailey and Villa co-owner Wes Eden's Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA championship. Daniel and I will sink our pearly whites into all of these issues throughout today's pod. But first and foremost, let's start with matters on the pitch. As Aston Villa launched their preseason campaign with a 4-0 win against Warsaw. This was followed up by a 2-0 defeat against Stoke City and sadly a cancelled Matty Cash derby against Nottingham Forest due to a COVID outbreak at the, uh, at, at the Forest training ground this week. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag in preseason so far for Dean Smith's tricky villains. Uh, Dan, tell me, do preseason results matter and what have you gleaned from Villa's preseason displays thus far? Yeah, I mean... The boring answer is at this stage of the season, preseason does not matter. It's about fitness, uh, especially considering the ragtag bunch we've got lined up at the moment with players still away on internationals. But that doesn't make good podcasting, does it? So let's dissect the, the friendlies as if they're the most important games Villa have ever played. And let's focus in on the Walsall one first, which I think showed us the good we can expect this season. And Emmy Buendia, who was fantastic in the first half there, like great to see him on the same wavelength as, as Ollie Watkins so early and slotted through a couple of beautiful through balls for Ollie to finish. And, and I think showed kind of tactically what we can expect from him this year, maybe a bit deeper than Jack plays kind of, creating from those slightly more central positions too um but the most interesting thing for me is as the glutton for punishment i am was the stoke game i mean last week we talked about what kind of impact the the injury maybe had on wesley and we talked a lot physically about that impact but i think maybe in the red card we saw the impact it's had on him psychologically i mean i think i'm right in saying it came about five ten minutes after there was a, a little bit of a tasty challenge from a Stoke player and it clearly ruffled his feathers and and understandably he's just come back from a from a horror injury but it, it ruffled his feathers and, and the red card came shortly afterwards and and what worries me about that sending off is it's one he's sent off in a preseason friendly and two it just shows that his head's not quite there yet and uh, yeah hands up who can blame the lad he's, he's been through hell and back but 
if we're relying on him to to kind of be our backup up front this season, we can't have a guy who, who can't take a challenge and, and can't stay on the pitch. What do you reckon, Craig? Yeah, yeah um, oof, I, we, we spoke last week at length about Wesley and, uh, you know, the one area that you can't physically see, you know, and we learn, you know, we learn, we're learning more about mental, mental wellness all the time is what's going on behind the scenes, behind the curtains. And um, Wesley obviously lost it. Now we do know that he has had a little bit of a temper. He's never been sent off for Aston Villa before, but what apparently happened, as you said, Dan, is he received a bit of a challenge, apparently on his uh, formerly injured leg, and then he just completely lost it. He saw red. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be any kind of uh, psychotherapist or any kind of counsellor, but it doesn't take a genius to realise that he has some emotional baggage uh, tied into that knee injury and that that tackle from Ben Mee, while he may be over the worst of it physically emotionally he's not over it now selfishly from an Aston Villa point of view as you've just mentioned there Dan can we afford to have a player who isn't necessarily emotionally ready to be in the rough and tumble of the Premier League because don't don't make any bones about it opposition defenders will give him a kick particularly after they've seen that now with the idea that they can wind him up and get Villa down you know get Villa reduced down to 10 men and win so with Keenan Davis rumoured to be moving along to Stoke, you have to say, unless something can, can, can drastically change, it doesn't seem, and I hate to say this because I love Wesley, it doesn't seem like he is quite ready to be our number two striker going into the season, particularly with Keenan Davis apparently heading out on loan. Yeah, it's a good point, and it's... Um... I'm the same as you. I'd love to see the lad do well. I was a big fan of his before he got injured, and, and the injury was horrible. And you're right, you, you don't know psychologically the torture he's been through to get back, and it's human nature that you'd you'd lose your rag a little bit if a tackle like that comes in. But you're right, Premier League players do their homework. People will see that. People will try and wind him up again. I suppose the good news for, for Villa fans is he looks fit as a fiddle. I mean, he's... You know, not just the knee, but he looks ripped, and I think he's he's physically there. It's just mentally. We've, if you've ever played football and you've come back from an injury, even if it's a light one, I don't know, grazed a knee on astroturf or lost a toenail, going in for that tackle, the next tackle is a horror. Like you, you're mentally not quite there. I can't imagine what that must be dialed all the way up to eleven when your Premier League footballer had his career on the line. So. Aston Villa have not been linked with a single striker. Um, anytime the Tammy Abraham comes up, it's been shot down. Uh, Eduard, who was linked uh, previously, the, uh, the Celtic striker, uh, looks to be headed to uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Good signing you, for them, by the way. Very good signing for them. You know, Brighton pretty much do their homework uh, uh, pretty well in terms of their transfers, uh, apart from Danny Welbeck. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, let's consider this. Do you think, Dan, that that red card, red missed moment from Wesley will be enough to spurn Aston Villa into transfer action? Do you think this means that maybe Villa sign a striker or perhaps maybe Dean Smith keeps Keenan Davis around as backup to Ollie Watkins and sends Wesley out on loan to the championship for a year to regather his mojo, if you like? Yeah, I don't think Dino and co are a knee-jerk people. I don't think that alone will will make them react, but I think it will ring alarm bells, and they'll know more than us on the training ground, off the pitch, what's going on with Wesley, where his head's at, what the psychology of it is, and, and the physical aspect is. Same as you, I've not seen a serious rumour linking us to a striker, and it seems to be an area where we don't want to spend money. Um, not that we're tight on cash, but you also can't go throwing it around. So I'd understand if if they decided to loan Wes out and keep Keenan around, I think that's the most logical backup plan, unless a striker falls into our lap, kind of either on loan or for cheap. Um, I still hope, and I think it will be Wesley who starts the season as a backup, but that worries me. And, you know, it's kind of good as a Villa fan. It's You're used to going into the season with worries. This will be one of them. We'll come on to some of the other ones later on. But, yeah, I mean, it's so hard to tell at this early stage. It's... It's just one little thing we've seen and Dino and co have seen everything else behind the scenes that Wesley's been through and where he's at mentally. So so they'll know if he's ready or not. They're no mugs, but I just don't see a spine a striker. For whatever reason, I just don't see it happening this summer. 
Well, in which case, the follow-up question there is, let's leave the kids, Louis Barry and Brad Young, out for a moment. We're going to discuss them in a minute. Does Dean Smith have solutions in the squad? Can Anwar Anwar Algolzi, your favourite player, could he play? Could he do a job up front? I seem to remember him having a couple of appearances for Villa up front um, when Wesley was injured in the first place before Samata came in. Burton Traore um, was spoken about by Dean Smith as being potentially a backup to Ollie Watkins in that forward role. I mean, do we have solutions in there? Is there someone that can play uh, other than Keenan Davis and Wesley should push come to shove and Villa don't sign another striker? I mean, Bert's the obvious choice, right? He's played there before. He he has the pace. He, he seems like the logical choice. The other thing that's worth saying is Ollie Watkins... I say whilst touching wood, is ridiculously durable. The lad played pretty much every minute last year. Looks like he doesn't get injured all that much, doesn't get tired out all that much. But you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket there. You're almost back to Bruce, Steve Bruce starting a season with with two centre-backs and no cover for Chester. And it's it's not a nice situation to be in. And it's one that I suspect Dean, Dino and co. wouldn't want to be in. But as I say, we've got to give it a couple of weeks yet. Maybe, you know the game wasn't cancelled today, then Wesley starts and is on fire. Or the next friendly, he's back to his best. And this is just one of those mental blips that players go through to get out the other side. And that's going to be the real test of him is, is not just coming through the injury, almost coming back to playing at your top level is as difficult as getting through the injury. And I think that the next few weeks will tell it out. And I think what what Dino and Co do in the transfer market will speak volumes about Wesley's future at a club. Because I honestly think if he goes out on loan, he ain't coming back. Well, Aston Villa might have uh, £100 million burning a hole in their back pocket, um, but we'll get to that uh, later on in the show. I just want to touch on one more thing that you said regarding the Warsaw game, which feels like a long, long, long while ago now. That link-up between Emi Buendia and Ollie Watkins, we saw Emi Buendia in his preferred uh, right-wing position as part of a 4-2-3-1 uh, for Aston Villa against Warsaw. And then we saw him move to number 10, uh, Emi Buendia, that is, against Stoke. And he certainly seemed to have far less impact against Stoke than he did against Warsaw. Do you put that down to the change of position? Do you put that down to uh, stronger opposition, uh, Stoke over Warsaw? Or do you think that maybe Emi Buendia is not necessarily suited for that number 10 role? He didn't play it all that much, if memory serves me, for, for Norwich. He mainly played on the right for them, and it's certainly where he looks most comfortable. It does worry me, however, how you fit him and Jack into a 4-2-3-1. Like, it's just... It, it, the, the problem is you don't have any width on either side then. Jack likes to cut in, Buendia likes to cut in. It really crowds the middle of the pitch. Um, so I kind of... I see his best position as being on the right. Ultimately, I think we're going to go 4 3 3 just because... I think if not, he's got to play in the central role, and I don't think he likes that as much. But again, we'll see. I sound like a broken record. It's boring as hell. But again, we can't tell. <laughs> it's been two friendlies. We we need a bit more time, and we need to see what happens. But yeah, I, I do have certain alarm bells ringing about, about how you fit him and Jack into a 4 2 3 one because I'm just not entirely sure it's possible. But it depends who you bring in to play alongside them, if you bring along anyone at all. Yeah, I guess it does. A lot is unknown. We may have got some answers in the forest friendly, but unfortunately that was cancelled. So I believe, I believe without checking any notes, that the next friendly is going to be against Bristol City uh, this coming Saturday. So perhaps we will get more of an idea then. And also we have a certain Mr. Jack Grealish, Tyron Mings, and I believe Emmy Martinez due to return to preseason training at Bodymore Heath next Monday, ready for that severe friendly the following week but one preseason trend which has seen many of the Aston Villa faithful licking their chops with what the future might bring is the integration of no less than 15 youth team players into the Aston Villa preseason lineups by Dean Smith with the likes of Aaron Ramsey, Jaden Philogene Bedace and Lamar Bogard earning rave reviews for their performances however Hot prospects Louis Barry, Brad Young, Hayden Kessler-Hayden and Ian Reiki were conspicuous by their absence with none of those four young men receiving even a single minute of playing time. Firstly, Dan, what do you make of so many of the Villa youngsters being so heavily involved in preseason? And what does the absence of Barry Young, Kessler-Hayden and Reiki in particular say about their current pathway into the Villa first team? 
Firstly, I'm going to be Captain Sensible again and say, look, it's pre-season. It's so hard to tell if these lads will be there and thereabouts come come uh, there and thereabouts. They sound like Bruce. That's one that that strike two there for Steve oh, Bruce references. Unbelievable! By the way. It was by accident that one too. <laughs> He's just lurking in the back of my psyche somewhere, which is a horrifying thought. <laughs> You have to roll your sleeves up. Get rid of them. <laughs> but it is, you know, if they're there or thereabouts, I'm dropping it in again. On on a Premier League game day, then it's different. We can talk excitedly about the future of, of our youth prospects coming through. Right now, we're missing a bunch of first-team players. It's pre-season. It's about just getting people out there and not overworking them. So youth players help for that. But look, they get minutes, they get a chance to impress, and they have impressed. I think they've all been wonderful, and, and we've seen that whenever Villa have brought through young players in the last 18 months or so, whether it's kind of glimpses off the bench or whether it's that, that FA Cup tie against Liverpool. These lads are ready, and I think they're, they're ready to step up. How many of them will this season? I don't know. I think, I think two or three of them will be in and around the squad, but those names that you mentioned that haven't played... I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it means they're probably headed off on loan somewhere and they're they're not kind of being played because of that. And I think also we've got to remember that there's not a straight line between the youth team and, and the first team. Players take different routes. I think, you know, for every player like a Luke Moore or a Stefan Moore who's dropped straight away into the first team but burns out and goes nowhere, there's a, a Jack Grealish who doesn't really show, goes on loan to Notts County and then, then comes through with a flourish. And, you know, just because these players aren't playing now doesn't mean that they're, they're not going to be first-team regulars for us. And likewise, players that we think are going to be first-team regulars out of that could well drop off and their development goes off a cliff. It's, it's so tough when the lads are this age because they've got so much developing to do and so much learning to do. And then the thing I'm, I'm probably most excited about this year is not seeing them in a Villa shirt. It's seeing them in various league shirts, kind of lower down the pyramid, and, and seeing them learn their trade down there, because I honestly think it's the best way for, for those young players to improve. I, I agree with you. I think I'd, I'd, lost, I'd also always wondered, I know we've had uh, Tyrick Wright uh, recently and also um, uh, Callum O'Hare uh, went to Coventry and Warsaw or Warsaw and Coventry respectively. I've always wondered why we don't have some closer links with the likes of Coventry and Warsaw. I know we always do the annual preseason game with, with Warsaw, um, but it feels like that would be a great place, both Coventry and Warsaw. I know Coventry fans, and my wife's a Coventry fan, I know Coventry fans have this imaginary idea that we are some kind of rivals with you, but we're not. We, yeah. don't, we, don't, we don't care. Uh, thank you for Dion Dublin. Thank you less so for Mustafa Hadji. You know, he was okay. Uh, but basically, the, there is really no rivalry there, at least from Villa's point of view. So I would have no problem with more youngsters uh, going to commentary. Commentary are an um, expressive team in, in the championship. They play football. They try and score goals. Obviously, the championship's a really good level. So it would be great to see some of the young players uh, head out there. Warsaw, slightly lower level. But again, it's proper men's football, you know, where, where you know, as proper men's football. I, I want to try and do a Sean Dyche accent, but I can't. <laughs> Um, where players are playing, you know, they're playing for their mortgages, they're playing for their, their, their kids, they're playing for their futures. You know, League Two players are not the multimillionaires we see strolling around the Premier League. These guys, these guys have got real problems. They're playing from game to game. They're fighting for contracts. They're, they're scrapping and trying to have a, get a living at least until, you know, they're, they're 35, 36 and kicked out the door. So it's an entirely different thing uh, down in the lower leagues. And I would love to see some more, some more linkage, if you will, uh, between Warsaw and commentary in particular, just because of the... Um, the local proximity and also the various leagues. But with Mile Jedinak in charge of this, that could be something that changes. I think I've personally been surprised not to see Louis Barry in particular. Um, I don't know if that's because it's just the hype machine that's around Louis Barry with, you know, the, uh, the, the Barcelona on his CV and the, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's such a hot prospect. So we were all kind of itching to see him, particularly Andy, who I think talks about Louis Barry every week. Um, but to not see him at all, I think says, says, you know, goes to your point, Dan. Dean Smith doesn't think he's ready. And in Dean Smith, we, we trust. You know, we've seen Pep Guardiola actually criticised. Uh, we're going to talk about Man City in a minute. Uh, Pep Guardiola criticised for the handling of Phil Foden a few years ago, where it looked like he wasn't using Foden at all and maybe he was stunting his growth. But you can see now Foden is blossoming into a wonderful player. And you're absolutely right. Different players mature at different stages. So I don't think we need to hit the panic button for Louis Barry, Brad Young, Kessler Hayden, or Young Iron, your Iron Reiki just yet. So with all that being said, we had 
a real glimpse into the depth or lack of depth at centre half when Lamar Bogard uh, stepping in and he, from what I understand, is a converted defensive midfielder. Now, obviously, Tyrone Mings is still out, um, you know, with his uh, uh, representation for England at the Euros. Bjorn Engels hasn't been replaced. And again, a bit like the strikers, Dan, we are not seemingly rumoured, other than the lazy Twanzebi links, which we talked about last week, with any centre-halves whatsoever. Do you think that Villa need another centre-half? Or are we safe with Hawes, Mings and Esri Konza? It's such a tough one to answer. You always want depth, and, and just having one player to cover an injury in that position is it's not ideally where you want to be as a club. Things can quickly unravel, and and because of the transfer window set up, you can't just go out and replace a player if you're if you're struck with with an injury crisis. And I think that's the challenge that faces you know the the recruitment team is you're planning for a best case scenario, but you also need to plan for a worst case scenario. I mean, it's it's not football manager. You can't control or delete once your players broken a leg and, and restart an earlier save day. It's these things happen and you can't plan for them. But likewise, you don't want an expensively assembled squad who are sat around on the bench not getting the game time disrupting the squad. And I, I think what we've seen from Dino is he quite likes a tight squad where the players are playing regularly, players get that chemistry going. But it does come with an element of risk and that is if we hit an injury crisis, we could be a little screwed at the back. Um I'd like to see another body there, of course I would, but you know, it's a hard one to dangle in front of a player is, welcome to Villa, you'll be our fourth-choice centre-back. If our, our two first-choice centre-backs who rarely get injured go under, then you're in the squad. I mean, it's not like we're we're in Europe, you know, we don't know if we're going to make deep cup runs. It's hard to build a squad and build it around players who know they're not going to get minutes and, and keep everyone happy. Do you bring in the likes of a, a Gary Cahill then? Obviously, you know, probably probably at this point, three or four years past his best, uh, might be a little bit more reasonable on wages now, you would think, and just say, listen, Gary, we've got a young squad. Obviously, you've got a Villa connection. Uh, we're going to give you a year. We want you to be a mentor to, to Mings and Konza. Uh, we, we might roll you out for the cup games, but, um, you know, you should expect to get splinters in your backside. And um, you're just here kind of along with Ashley Young, although Ashley Young, I think we'll see a lot of minutes this year. You're just kind of here making up the numbers, essentially. And, and would someone of the stature of Gary Cahill, um, although he is obviously towards the very end of his career, would, they, would he go for that for another year in the big time? If memory serves me correct, he's coming off an injury at the end of last year too, so that's a, an iffy point, as if someone at his age can, can recover from that. But yeah, it's the kind of move I'd be on board for, mainly because we all remember that wonder Cahill goal, and so he's always going to have a place in my heart, kind of, and I'd love to see him back at Villa. And, and as we'll come on to later, we've, we've got a gap in, in the roster for an over-the-hill centre-back who didn't quite make it at Villa <laughs> coming back and doing a coaching job. So... Um, I, you know, it's the kind of move I'd like because I do think we're short on leaders at the club, especially with Elmo going and I think Neil Taylor going. And I think Ashley Young fills that void a little bit, but a few learned professionals around can, can make the world a difference for the young players. And I think also help the coaching staff have that kind of conduit between between coaches and players. It's nice to have someone there who almost acts as the go-between. Whether it's Cahill, whether it's someone else, a low-risk move like that, I'd be fully on board for, I'm sure portions of the, the Twitter fan base would be up in arms because they expect us to sign world-class players at every position, even fourth-choice centre-back. But as a smart business club decision, yeah, I'd be on board with that. Some kind of pay-as-you-play deal. I mean, not that I care. It's not my money. Pay him what they want if he's not going to play. But it's <laughs> uh, it's still the kind of move I'd like to see. But again, I don't see it happening. I think we're play playing planning to have a lean, keen squad this year. And I think it might be a little bit of a thrill ride for us if we start getting injuries. I suppose so. And, and you know, uh, one solution I've just thought of off the top of my head is maybe if we sign Ben Mee, just having him around in training, um, <laughs> could we could cure Wesley of his, of his phobias with exposure therapy. He just has to get kicked in the air by Ben Mee every day and eventually... No, too soon. unless he goes in and training like he does in matches, then then after two training sessions, we'll be without a fit team to go through. It'll just be Ben Me and a bunch of kids going out. Yeah, um, 
That was a joke, ladies and gentlemen. I do not want Benby anywhere near Aston Villa. Gary Cahill, or perhaps another senior centre-half who will accept minutes on the bench? Maybe, maybe. Uh, speaking of Villa's defence... I have to say Jed Steer looked a little shaky in preseason, and the return of Emmy Martinez will be a welcome sight at Bodymore Heath next week. And if you're struggling to get your central striker and two ball-playing midfielders in between the sticks at home, wink, wink, here is some advice from myself and our Gather Round the Lamp podcast partner, Manscaped.com. If you have missed out on Manscaped, what are you doing? Over 2 million men worldwide. 2 million. That's a lot of men. Trust Manscaped with their personal grooming. And at the Gather Around the Lamp podcast, we have a, a special 20% off and free worldwide shipping with our code LAMP. L-A-M-P at manscaped.com. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game so you can enjoy the game's clean and properly cared for. You can get the Ultimate Male Hygiene Bundle, which gives you the Performance Package 3.0, which gives you the Lawnmower 3.0 with Ceramic Blade, which I have used on my own personal intimate male area. And I can tell you, no nicks, scrapes, or cuts from me. I would post a picture, but then I would probably be banned from Twitter, and lots of you would run away screaming, or some of you would run towards me screaming. Either way, can't do it. So... The Weed Whacker uh, is also included and also formulations to round out your grooming routine with the uh, wonderful ball deodorant, the Crop Preserver, and also the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It's a testes toner that's designed to give you the extra boost that you need to get the job done on the pitch, in the bedroom, in the car, on the golf course, wherever you like to get down. Get down with us at www.manscape.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code LAMP. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscape.com with our promo code LAMP. Please, please do it for your balls. They will thank you. Speaking of balls, a man who used to kick balls for Aston Villa and England is former England captain and all-round footballing institution John Terry, who left his post to Aston Villa early this week after initially joining the club in his final season as a player in July 2017. John Terry would ultimately fall short in his ambitions for promotion at Villa as a player, retiring after Villa's blessing in disguise playoff defeat against Fulham in May 2018. Terry wasn't away for too long as he made a surprising return to Villa later that year in October, joining the backroom staff as Dean Smith's assistant. Villa would go on to earn promotion at the end of that season after a club record-breaking 10-game winning streak delivered us to playoff glory. John Terry is widely credited with being instrumental in instilling a winning mentality at Aston Villa. He's also understood to have had a major impact on players such as Matt Target, Tyrone Mings and Esri Konsa, and is said to have been a major carrot for prospective players who are considering joining the Villa ranks. So, Dan, now that I've given him the biggest build-up and intro known to man, how do you sum up John Terry's time at the club and just how big a hole is he leaving behind him? That's not a Manscaped reference, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> he leaves a, a huge hole, an absolute gaping, yawning hole for, for the club. And I don't think... I ever thought I'd say that when he was there as a player I think I said last week he was a bit of a novelty for me he was past his best or brilliant at this level but what you don't see all the time with John Terry is his mentality and and I think that's something that's come through you you only need to look on social media this week to see how much the players are going to miss him the, the well wishes that have come from the lads that he's leaving um, and I think we all knew he was destined for management at some point. We all knew he was he was heading off to pastures new. I didn't realise it would be this soon in the season. And it says to me he's got a job lined up, hopefully somewhere down the line. But um, 
Yeah, he's he's been massive for Villa, absolutely massive. One thing I didn't realise until reading an article this week is he actually came into coach because he had unfinished business. He was heartbroken at not getting us up in that playoff game. And, and part of the reason why he came back to coach us is he felt like he hadn't done the job he was brought in to do. And I think that speaks volumes about the man. And I think you've got to cast your mind back to those dark days after that playoff defeat and the state the club was in and the state it had been in for years. And I don't think it's all down to one person that you change the mentality of a club. But when that person's John Terry, maybe you do. Maybe through sheer force of will, he changed the way that people from top to bottom think. Um, as a coach, he's been instrumental. I think you you can't overlook the improvement in every one of the players in our defensive department. And they talk about the work he does with them. Hopefully, he's done that work now and they'll benefit from it for the rest of their careers. They won't disappear off a cliff now that he's no longer working with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, but yeah, it, it's a massive loss for the club. And, and all we can do really is say thank you as a fan base. I never thought when he came in after Steve Bruce had played golf with him that that he'd be so transformative to Aston Miller. And I didn't think it would be as a coach rather than a player. But but what about you, Craig? Are you going to miss him? I mean, he's, he's been an odd, odd figure around the coaching stuff because he's such a quiet guy. And compared to him as a player, as a coach, he's he's so quiet. And you just see him muttering to Dean and, and hiding behind his notepad on the sidelines. But, but what about you? Are you going to miss him around the club? Well, yeah, I, I had really mixed emotions. I mean, first of all, let's say that's your third mention of Steve Bruce. That's an officially now £100 fine. I dropped it um, in so, deliberately for you, that one. <laughs> so that's strike three. That's a £100 fine. Um, you can donate to a, a non-Steve Bruce-related charity of your choice. Um, you know, I'll be honest. Let's talk about the elephant of the room. Um, the John Terry, Anton Ferdinand uh, racist abuse thing is something that sticked that stuck in my craw for a long time. Now, obviously, we're all human. We've all made mistakes. You can't necessarily hold on to every single mistake forever. Um, I think I was concerned that John Terry was um, was not the right kind of guy. I think I had the. Rep- I think I, along with many other people, had a feeling of him as being a bit of a. Um, Billy Big Time, which is kind of fair enough when you've got a CV like his. And also, you know, I worried about him with the black players in particular. But I think we have to say it's it's been nothing but wonderful from John Terry. I think he has really answered all of his his critics, particularly his relationship with the some of the black players like Tyron Mings and Esri Konza. And how they speak about him tells you all you need to know um, about um, John Terry, perhaps, you know. He made some mistakes when he was younger, as, as most of us have, and perhaps he's adjusted his thinking and understanding through time, and we have to be able to move on with that and accept that people can change and people can learn, grow, and develop. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? What are we all doing here if we can't grow and get bigger? Um, but he's just been fantastic as well. I think the, the mentality shift is really important. I, I credit him and also the likes of Albert Adoma, great character around the place, James Chester, Jedinak, uh, Tommy Elphick as well, uh, long, long forgotten. Um, we had some really good football people, really good characters, uh, real leaders, you know, in that dressing room to help turn it around. And John Terry was really at the forefront of that for him to come back to the club and, be as humble as he's been he's never for me as far as i've seen ever ever tried to undermine dean smith or take credit away from dean smith or be bigger than dean smith everyone knows that john terry's a bigger name than dean smith is and i remember when we played uh uh, chelsea i think was it last season it was just billed as terry versus lampard terry never bought into that he would keep he would keep his counsel, he kept quiet, and he let everyone who, who who would listen, including in his recent interviews having left the club, that Dean Smith was the boss, Dean Smith is in charge, and that Terry was there to learn from Dean Smith and not vice versa. So I can't credit him any, any more than that, and particularly our defensive turnaround, as everyone knows, last season was absolutely incredible. I hope that we can maintain that, but also yeah, Aston Villa is a well-run club now. I believe that there will be a succession plan. And I also believe that Craig Shakespeare coming in last season and now he has a year at Aston Villa under his belt was perhaps a precursor to this move happening. And perhaps it's not going to be as 
as big a hole as we we might fear and hopefully Shakespeare can can smooth that out and also I'm sure there will be a replacement brought in but for once in my Aston Villa supporting life I really trust the club and um, I join you in in, and I'm sure most Villa fans would wish wishing John Terry all the best in his future endeavours and I hope he is a massive success as a manager in all his fixtures except those against Aston Villa where I hope he fails miserably and, look, and if, burns. If we win silverware, he's welcome to run on the pitch from the crowd in full Villa kit. I'm, I'm on board for him doing that, even if he's off managing elsewhere. Full Villa kit. He can even use Manscaped and come on and streak <laughs> if he so desires. That would also be uh, up to him. Um, so we are at the point in the show where we have been every week and it can't be avoided because, again, the Jack Grealish to Manchester City rumours, it's become the new Jaden Sancho saga of this summer. Uh, the, the speculation is going to rumble on until one of three things happens for me. Either Jack leaves the club, either Jack signs a new deal, or the transfer window slams shut on August 31st. Uh, many Villa fans, including myself, I'll be honest, have taken umbrage at the constant links, the the photoshopping of Jack into Man City kits by news outlets who are supposed to be at least somewhat impartial, you might think, and even lots of articles, uh, uh, fluff pieces, as I would call them, fantasizing about how Jack might fit into Guardiola's team. So, Dan, in your opinion, uh, what's going on with this greatest speculation? And do you take offence to the media frenzy surrounding the Aston Villa captain? It's a weird one. I started off the summer so confident he wasn't leaving. But this week, uh, I've started to turn. I've got a, a sickening feeling in the pit of my stomach. It's all starting to feel very familiar. Kind of Listeners of a certain age will remember the summer where Dwight York was going to Manchester United and the inevitability that, that came with that. And and another player who's close to my heart who went to Man City, the, the Gareth Barry transfer saga that seemed to go on forever. And this is starting to have the same sense of inevitability about it. Maybe it's because I've been subjected to that many headlines. Maybe it's because I have to come on here every week and talk about it. But <laughs> I'm starting to feel worse and worse about it. And it's it's for a couple of reasons. One is because we're not doing any business in the transfer market. And, and that worries me. It worries me that we're keeping our powder dry until we know what what we're going to work with or or that players aren't willing to commit until until Jack's future's sorted out. And the other is just reading between the lines of the media. I mean, I've worked in the media. I know full fel- full well the feeding frenzy is part of the business. It's it's how they sell papers, sadly, and, and people buy them because people want to listen to this transfer rumour. The, the difference is that back in the day, these transfer rumours you, you could only read in the paper or through dialing up an 0800 number and, and speaking to Fanzone or whatever it was. But these days it feels like social media is awash with it. I mean, this week I've been treated to screenshots of, of uh, WhatsApp conversations, supposedly with Villa Insiders, kind of tactical breakdowns of how Jack fits in, rumours of him being seen around the Manchester area. Everything is being thrown at us as Villa fans 24-7 and it is horrible and it's horrible because historically we're a selling club historically we don't hold on to our best players and it's hard to shake that we're not that club anymore but we're also not a city's level yet we also don't have a coach like Guardiola who's got that star power and inevitably Jack will go at some point and chances are he'll go to City and chances are he'll do well at City and it's just God, I'm not making for good listening here, but I'm just finding it so hard. I feel like I need help, Craig. It's, it feels inevitable to me. Tell me it's not inevitable. Tell me there's hope. Uh, I haven't changed my mind at all. I've been the same throughout. Um, steady Eddie, if you like. I'm like Simon Grayson in the number six position. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just going out and I'm going to give you six out of ten every week. <laughs> Maybe five on the odd day. Uh, you know, keeping it simple. I don't think he's, he's going to leave this year, but I'm also... Ooh, Dare I say it? I, I do dare say it because it's a podcast and this is what we're here for. I'm disappointed in Grealish. I think that Grealish is a Villa fan. Obviously, his dad, his brother, his family are Villa fans. He is as ingrained into the Villa community as any player we've ever had, probably before or since, maybe other than, you know, like Ian Taylor uh, or Gabby Agbonlahor, who, who could have similar uh, feelings uh, for the club. So he knows full well. I'm, I can only imagine Jack's WhatsApp is blowing up 
even more than anyone else's, you know, with all his friends, acquaintances, even his dad, probably, you know, what's going on, Jack? What's going on, Jack? So he, as a person, Jack Grealish as a man, is aware of all of the rumors and all of the anxiety, dare I say, which is coursing through the veins of literally hundreds of thousands of Villa fans at this point. And Jack is choosing, for whatever reason, he is choosing to let that speculation continue. A quick tweet or a quick Instagram post would put paid to all of this if Jack Grealish chose to do that. So Jack Grealish hasn't cho- chosen to end the speculation and, and, and come out and say, look, signed a new deal last year, not going anywhere, committed to the new season with Villa. And that would be really the end of it. That kills it dead. So there's only one of two reasons why he's not doing that if we think about it logically. The first reason is he's not doing it because his handlers are telling him not to because it's part of a negotiation tactic to secure a new deal. Or he's not doing it because he genuinely doesn't know if he's leaving or he is leaving. You know, it's it's one of those two things. So Jack is allowing this to, to go on. And while he isn't causing the the... the you know, the anxiety personally, he isn't also, he's also choosing not to, you know, he's not choosing to to quell these rumors, which I think is a little bit disappointing because I feel as though, and this might be absolute nonsense, but I feel as though if Jack Grealish went to the board and said, I'd like 200,000 pounds a week, please, and I'll sign a new five-year deal, I feel like the board might just say, yes, Jack, (laughs) whatever you need, Jack, rather than him needing to use Man City, the Man City interest as some kind of leverage game. And this is just my assumption. I could be wrong, I you know. I feel like you're maybe being a little unfair to Jack there for a couple of reasons. One is, you're right, it's it's not like Jack sat there on his phone and can tweet out whatever he wants. That's part of the problem. There's such a, there's an industry around each player. And you think with Jack, it's the... It's the agents, it's the commercial agents. There's the, there's a million deals in place that are making a lot of people a lot of money, and he's just one part of that. He's the commodity that's at the heart of that, and he probably can't even go to the shops without getting permission from five different people. That's part of the problem of being a Premier League footballer. You get paid a, a bunch of money to do what you love, but you also don't get to live your life. And I've had a little bit of interaction with footballers through the years, and they don't have a say on what they send out. They have to run everything they can past multiple people. And in Jack's case, so it's not just Villa, it's his agent, it's his dad, it's everyone else. So that's one part of it. I don't think he, he even if he wanted to, could come out and say anything. I just don't think the business allows it. Let me interject, if I might. If I might, Dan. Now, I, now again, you are experienced uh, in, in the journalism world. I am not. So I, I will defer to your better judgment. But I would, I would pose this question. Even if he couldn't do it personally, could he not just send a text to his brother or his dad or one of his close mates say, look... That everyone's doing my fruit in. Can you just put some out saying, you, I'm not good anywhere? Maybe, but then it's very easy to to trace the breadcrumbs back to him. And it's they're locked into this business as much as anything else. You see it around football players, the player becomes the family business almost. And not saying that's what Jack is, but it's a very difficult position for them to be in. You don't know what contracts have been signed, what gag orders have been signed. All of those kind of things. And it's also, I'll be honest with you, I bet Jack doesn't even care. He doesn't monitor what people are saying on Twitter. He doesn't particularly care what the rumours are going on because he's focused on getting ready for the season wherever he's going to be at. But I think part of the other problem which is going on here is that we're expecting him to follow his heart. We're Villa fans. He's a Villa fan, obviously, if we were in his position, we'd say we'd stay with Villa, we'd sign any contract. Of course we would. We're not Premier League footballers. But he's a Premier League footballer. He's one of the best footballers on the planet. He has a very short window in which to achieve all the goals he wants to achieve in his career. What is he, 25 now, 26? Realistically, got five or six years to win the silverware he wants to win. And hand on heart, if I was in his situation I'd love, of course I'm a Villa fan, I'd stay at Villa, they could pay me a pound a week and I'd play football for them very badly I'd be worth less than a pound a week but but he's a great footballer He he's going to win things chances are he's not going to win them at Villa sadly, everything that he wants to win and I think that's where a really difficult decision comes, it's not like he's got 15 years less to play he can wait until Villa catch up with the rich play, the rich teams in the Premier League and in the world 
he's got five or six years to go and win what he wants to win as a player, experience what he wants to experience as a player. And as Wesley shows and as Jack's kidney injury way back shows, that could go in a heartbeat. So I, I don't begrudge him at all for, for exploring these options. I wouldn't begrudge him for taking one of these options, especially when it's a coach like Guardiola, who's that special kind of coach who players want to work with. For a club like Man City, that you know I dislike them, but they're full of world-class players playing world-class football. The experience alone would be something a top-class professional would want. The chance to win silverware is something Jack would want. He'd be heartbroken that he can't do it in a Villa shirt, but with five, six, seven years of his career left, he he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be a player that's a one club man that never wins anything, and that's the thing we we just never want him to be, and it's it that's the thing that would break my heart almost more than him leaving Villa. If that makes sense, it's horrible. It's hard to be logical about this, but I almost have to be to get myself through it. I um. I would take umbrage with him leaving, and I would, I would begrudge him leaving for a couple of reasons. The first reason is he's just signed a five-year deal last year. I mean, less than one year ago, he signed a new five-year contract, committing himself to the project, as it were. Obviously, we're one year into that project, and that project has had uh, undeniable exponential growth year on year on year on year. Now, at some point, perhaps that growth will plateau and Jack might move on at that point. But I think while the club is still on such a stark upward trajectory, just bought in Emi Buendia, rumoured with uh, Leon Bailey and other signings, James Ward-Prowse has popped back up on the radar. We'll talk about transfers in a minute. I think that while Villa continue to be on an upward trajectory, I think that Jack Grealish can... can <laughs> I think, I think he, 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 has to, he has to do one more year. Because I think that to leave now, when Villa are just really on the cusp of European football, arguably if Jack Grealish was able to stay fit last year, we would, which is the second point I'm going to come to, we would have uh, secured European football. But now with Emi Buendia in to help take the burden off Jack, as well as other players, you know, we know there's going to be some more other players coming through to help him out. I think Villa's chance of uh, Europa League place this year is real. And I think the opportunity of saying to Jack, Jack, look, this time next year, mate, you can be leading Villa into Europe for the first time in goodness knows how long, 10 years, 12 years. Uh, I think that's enough of a carrot. And then you say to Jack, Jack, if we don't get Europe next year, off you go, mate. And we'll even lower the price for you to, to, to take that uh, move. Also, let's talk about Man City. Now, there's been a little bit of argy-bargy between Man City fans and Villa fans, but let's, let's not, let's be real about Man City. Man City as a project is a sports, sports-washing enterprise. It is not a lovely, dove, dove, lovely, dovey, cuddly, nice thing that, you know, everyone is all sunshine, lollipops and flowers. It is a quite harsh exercise in sports washing and image let's leave that there let's also state the fact that man city just a few months ago escaped a two years champions league ban on a technicality it wasn't because they didn't break the rules ladies and gentlemen they escaped the champions league ban because the statute of limitations if you like had expired on that particular charge relating to uefa's rules we now learn uh, through a uh, reporting from the daily mail I don't like to say that out loud too much, uh, that a high court has revealed that Manchester City are in litigation with the Premier League for, again, breaking the rules. It is not inconceivable that Man City get some quite severe punishments moving forward. And if those punishments did materialise, for example, the two-year Champions League ban, Jack Grealish is moving to a sinking ship. You think Guardiola is going to stay? You think De Bruyne is going to stay? You think uh, uh, you think the other star players are going to stay there at Man City, a club without any kind of, put it this way, it's not a Barcelona, it's not a Real Madrid, it doesn't have that, it's not a Man United, it's not a Liverpool, it doesn't have that cachet. People are there because it can win money. And it's the second that Man, United, uh, Man City stops being a viable endeavour, as soon as it becomes proven, shall we say, that rules have been broken and punishments are handed down. Should that happen? Man City is not the place to be for Jack Grealish. 
And the third point I'll make, and this is the last one, <laughs> Jack Grealish has only ever played 33 games as a maximum for Aston Villa in any given season. He's never, ever been able to stay fit for a whole season, which some people would say, well, even more reason to cash in on him. We've re never really had a full season of, of Jack Grealish at Aston Villa, and I would love to just have one full season of Jack Grealish at Aston Villa to see what we can do and, and where we can go. Now, maybe it might happen, maybe it might not, not happen, but I, I, I'm still sticking to my guns. I think Jack Grealish stays for one more year. I think if we qualify for Europe, maybe that's his cue to say, all right, got you into Europe. Thanks very much. I'm going to try and win the Champions League. And then maybe we say, fair enough, bon voyage. Maybe this season we don't get into Europe. And then I would then I would say, Jack, you need to go, mate. You need to go. But I think signing a five-year deal less than one year ago, I think he should stay for another year. And I think he will stay for another year. Although, Dan, you may be talking me out of this opinion. I don't want to be the voice of reason or the voice of doom. And you make great points, and I think the sports-washing one with City is is such an interesting one because they are a phenomenal fan base. I mean, I'm up here, I'm surrounded by a bunch of my mates, the City fans. It's a great fan base. People care about it. It's not their fault that they got bombarded with oil money. And, uh, and, and that's a point well made. The five-year contract, I see more as Jack doing us a solid than anything else. I don't think that means he's committed to five years. I think that's him maintaining his value for us, whether he stays for five years or not. So that's another point. I just, when you say one more year, how long have we been saying to Jack one more year? Just get us into the Premier League after that failed playoff final. Just give us one more year, get us into the Premier League, and then you can go. Just just keep us up, Jack, and then you can go. Just get us into Europe, Jack, and then you can go. And I, I just don't want him to become Matt Letizia and to be this wonderful player at the end of his career who should have gone to bigger and better things at some point. And I... I'd love it to be with Villa, but in, in my heart of hearts, I can't say that at this point next season when he's led us into the Europa Conference League, that it would have been a better year of his professional time than than winning a, a league and Champions League double. I just And that's my logical head, I hate saying it, but as you say, that litigation is a very interesting thing. There's a bunch of stuff on Twitter about it. I, I'd highly recommend people to go read because... It, it could unravel the City project for a couple of years, and I think that would stall. I don't think any other club is going to pay the money for Jack. But the one thing I'd say as well is it's a double-edged sword, because I think if they're trying to get their business over the line before that comes down, then that's a deal that they'll push through this summer. But as I say, don't let me be a doom-monger. Don't take it for one second that I want him to go. I want him to stay. I can't imagine life without him. I, I get to go to Villa Sevilla in, in a week's time. It's the first time I've been to Villa Park in 10 years. The first time I've seen Jack play for Villa. I mean, I can't wait. But I just can't. The world is a cruel, dark place, Craig. And I think oh. I have no faith in, in good things happening to good people. And, and in good people, I mean the majority of Villa fans. Well... The Grealish speculation, no doubt, will rumble on. We have not been able to find a consensus here on Gather Around the Lamp uh, podcast, but maybe you can find a consensus at home. In the meantime, we'll all just have to suffer through these Grealish stories until we get a definitive answer. But in other transfer news, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe finally committed his future to Arsenal after the Gunners apparently turned down two separate bids from Aston Villa for his services. But no moss has grown under the Villa Rock as they have reportedly turned their attention to Leverkusen hotshot Leon Bailey. Uh, Dan, what do you make of the Bailey links and are you disappointed that Aston Villa weren't able to secure the services of Smith Rowe? Yeah, I mean the Bailey links look, look legit and if cryptic Twitter messages or anything to go by he's on his way but... Um... It's interesting because I was fully on board with us getting Smith Rowe. I was very excited. I think he was legitimately a Jack replacement ultimately, but we'd have had a season with Buendia, Smith Rowe, and Jack behind a striker, which is mouthwatering. But when you start to think about the balance of that, it actually could have caused us more problems than it's worth. I mean, three creative players, one goal scorer, it's in inherently unbalanced. You can't put that much weight on, on Ollie Watkins to go and bang the ball in the net. And I think we'd be, ironically, quite easy to defend against because we wouldn't have a threat in the box. But, but going after a player like Bailey, who's a lot more of that 
wide inside forward type, you know, pacey, flair, attacks the box, almost a striker out wide with a, with a lot more skill. I think he adds a different dynamic to us if we get him hit Buendia, Jack, and then, then Bailey and, and Ollie kind of firing it in the net. I think we've got a more direct attack, a more varied attack. Um, I, I, it's a great signing if we can get it over the line. What about yourself, Craig? Are you, are you excited for him? Have you seen much of him over in the Bundesliga? I watch the occasional Bundesliga game, but I wouldn't claim to be an expert. But what I am a, an expert in is YouTube compilation <laughs> videos, baby. And I have binged watched some Leon Bailey until you know until I needed a Bailey's to clear my clear my head. Um, basically, he looks absolutely wonderful. He looks frightening. Now, obviously, you know I remember you know Tonev uh, under Paul Lambert looking nice on YouTube <laughs> clips. So we we do take that with a pinch of salt. But um, you know he's doing it at a much higher level. This is a Bundesliga player, Jamaican international, and this is a player that seems to absolutely terrorize defenses and have a completely different kind of threat than Buendia, Grealish, Traore. In fact, anyone that we have, because he is kind of speed, 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 but with end product. He can dribble, he can shoot, he can score. And um, he is certainly someone that if we had Buendia and Grealish playing and they're pulling lots of attention from midfielders, defensive midfielders and defenders, who more would you want exploiting those spaces than Bailey, a guy who can kill you with his pace and also can kill you with his finishing? So I really like the look of that. But then he's also um, predominantly, from what I understand, and I'm happy to be corrected here, a right winger. And then you're looking at, okay, Buendia, we've already discussed, looked more effective. Obviously a very, very small sample size, so let's not get carried away. Buendia looked very uh, much more at home on the right wing than he did as a number 10 uh, so far. We've also got Traore, who I've, I don't think is a right winger, as I've said many times on this podcast, but that's where he's been playing. And your mate Trezeguet. So four right-sided uh, forwards into one spot does not go, which means someone's got to miss out, surely. I, I think that front three, however we line up, is going to be very fluid anyway. And I think you're right. I think if, if we brought him, it'd be Jack left, Buendia center, and Bailey on the right competing with Burt and, and probably El Ghazi. And, and a point on El Ghazi, your favourite boy El Ghazi, but he showed what a slightly more direct wide player can do when playing alongside the likes of Jack Grealish. I mean, he banged in 10 goals from nowhere. Imagine an upgrade, dare I say, on El Ghazi, kind of playing alongside Buendia and Jack. I mean, he'd, he'd be licking his lips in terms of opportunities. But I think, yeah, we whatever way we line up, it's going to be mouth-watering. I like to see us going after a more direct player. It wouldn't surprise me to see him play on the left either. Remember, we've been linked with Dwight McNeil, who's primarily, primarily a left winger, and it, it wouldn't surprise me to see us go for a bit more width down the left. Because that's one thing I think this Villa team maybe lacks is width going forwards. We have a lot of players who like to come into central positions. So to have an out-and-out chalk-on-his-boots kind of winger wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for us to have. So, um, I mean, what's exciting, though, is he's the kind of player that was linked with top, top teams a year ago. And I think maybe COVID has worked in our favour there. And and we know this, uh, this recruitment team take an opportunity when they see one. And I think this might be one of those opportunities where we, we're buying a player that we didn't think we stood a chance to get. Well, I have one more question for you. I, I saw uh, this is a poll I think was run by the Villa Views uh, Twitter account, not to be confused with the Villa View podcast. And it was a question which I'll pose to you, Dan, which I thought was quite interesting. Which is a butter? A butter no, which is a better a front three behind Ollie Watkins? Is it Jack Grealish, uh, Trezeguet, and uh, Traore, or is it Leon Bailey, Buendia, and um, and um, who's the other guy? Jack that? Grealish. You know, he's a he's a pretty good number ten. He's he Jack plays Grealish. For there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one is better? I mean, on paper, there's only one answer, isn't there? I mean, Buendia, I think, has the potential to be world-class. Jack is on his way to being world-class, and Leon Bailey is going to be an exceptional tool. But as I say, the the thing that worries me is the balance. And, and it's, you know, we're, we're running the risk of playing fantasy football a little bit and playing, buying great players that don't necessarily fit together in a team. And I'm no coach, Dino, I know how to get the best out of these players, but... 
there is something to be said for Trez and Traore and the balance that players like that bring to a side. And you have too many players that want to get on the ball and, and do magic with it and not enough players stretching opposition defences or doing the dirty work. Then you can very quickly end up with a world-class team that isn't actually as effective as when you had a few more journeymen in there. I mean, you obviously think wow. it's bad without Trez in there, so... I, you know, we'll 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 all miss Trezeguet, but um, you know, he's uh, he's probably reached his ceiling. His goose um, is cooked. At, uh, the the injury or not the injury, <laughs> he was on his way, I think. And and I think sadly, I've got a I've got to own up to the fact that that Trez will not be coming back as a regular fixture for Villa unless unless El Ghazi gets moved on, as rumours are, are kind of touting. There him, are so. rumours. Off to play under Jose Mourinho at uh, at Roma. I mean, I know we've had our disagreements, but no one would wish that on a player. And so, poor El Ghazi, I hope he doesn't have to play under Jose Mourinho. Well, Anwar, wherever he goes, he will continue to be our beautiful baby boy, and we will love him. And we will love him unconditionally. But um, who knows? I think Anwar has two years left on his deal. I know lots of Villa fans think we should cash in, but I will say what I've said before. 10 Premier League goals is not to be sniffed at. That kind of output from a winger, particularly considering the minutes that El Ghazi played, which was very few, is incredible. We might have better players in those positions, which might help the team overall, but ultimately it's about goals and goals win football matches. So I would say to the El Ghazi naysayers, <clears throat> mentioning no one in particular, be careful what you wish for. All right. Finally, the Milwaukee Bucks, co-owned by Aston Villa's own Wes Edens, made history last week by winning the NBA championship for the first time in half a century. The Bucks were on a road to nowhere before Edens came in and have now climbed to the top of the mountain in just a few short years. Should Villa fans be excited by this win, Dan? And is there any kind of relevance or correlation between the Bucks and Villa? And if so... Why does it matter for Aston Villa? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. I'm, I'm more of a baseball guy than a basketball guy, so I, I struggle to struggle to see how, how big a win it is. But clearly, first time in 50 years is, is wonderful, and well done to Edens and co for doing it. Um, I also was thinking about this question earlier on and, and remembering back to Randy Lerner's days and, and owner part owner Ugh. of the Cleveland Browns and how Villa fans suddenly became Browns fans. And, and you know, as a man living in North America yourself, you need need no reason to laugh at the Browns and kind of haven't really done anything. <laughs> um, as to what it means for Villa, it's a really tricky one. I mean, I lived in North America for a while. You lived there. It's a completely different game, not just the fact it's basketball, but North American sports are such a different model business-wise because of the draft system, the competitive balancing is different. Money talks out there, but not in the same way as it does in the cutthroat world of European football. So so the Milwaukee Bucks win clearly shows that Wes Edens knows what he's doing. He knows how to bring success to franchises that haven't had it, as me using the word franchises, like a, like a true North American. But he... It's very difficult to draw that straight line between what works in the US and what works in the UK. It's why the Moneyball stuff that everyone got wrong didn't necessarily work. It's why US owners haven't particularly fared brilliantly in the Premier League. And I think that Wes Edens and co. will find it a lot harder to succeed in the Premier League where, where things are a lot more cutthroat and it's a lot harder to build a successful dynasty, so to speak. But building a franchise into a winning machine can only be good the lessons he learns the proof that he can take to to villas and employees and players and say look i know what i'm doing this is what i did with the other sports team i owned um i think it can only be good news but yeah as i say as someone who's, who's dabbled a little bit in north american sports i just find it difficult to say oh he won there so he's gonna win here what about yourself as a, a card carrying American resident? Uh, what do you think? Has it been a big deal the Bucks winning? Um, it's been a, a huge deal, particularly um, uh, Janice, their, their star player. Obviously, lots of uh, parallels between him and Jack Grealish. Janice uh, had a really interesting interview where you know he he did the uh, the Francesco Totti thing, where Totti had said winning one trophy at uh, you know uh, uh, Roma would, is worth ten at Juventus. I hope you're listening, Jack. Yanis uh, has a similar kind of feeling. So for the Bucks to win over, you know, more fancied, uh, more famous teams like the uh, the 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 the, the L A. Um, remember an L A. team here, Craig. You're on. 
Oh, I'm, I'm under the, the gun here. The, the LA, the, the LA franchise, the Miami <laughs> franchises, you know, all those teams. You should have had Lakers LA or Lakers. Clippers, I think. The, the Lakers, there you go. Um, you know, the more fancied, more famous teams is a big deal. I, you know, someone here likened it to Leicester yeah. winning the Premier League, you know, the, the Bucks, you know, for a football reference. So or why, while there's not necessarily direct synergy, what there is, is a blueprint that we have an owner who knows how to build a team from nowhere into a winning team. Now, obviously, we can see as we discussed earlier on this podcast, Aston Villa's trajectory, upward trajectory year on year is undeniable under Wes Edens and Asef Sawaris. So that is beyond reproach. We can't question it because it's just been astronomical in terms of growth and progression. So the know-how and understanding of how to do that with a sports team, I think matters for Aston Villa because we can already see signs that we're building towards certainly a European challenge this year and who would have believed that when mr steve bruce who's just had his fifth mention of the show was presiding over a uh, you know nylon flapping at his own uh, his own goal uh jednak as a makeshift center half you know those dark dark days we wouldn't have believed it but wes edens has made it happen there and hopefully he's making it happen here but Either way, hopefully that win has made Wes Edens a few more um, a few more ducats, so he can throw a little bit more money at Liam Bailey and our other targets to bring in for Aston Villa. Okay, that is all we have time for this week. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Gather Around the Lamp podcast. We hope you join us again next time, and also please visit our sponsors at Manscape.com, where you get twenty percent off on all items as well as free shipping worldwide with our promo code LAMP. Also be sure to check out underagaslitlamp.com for all the best and latest Aston Villa news and opinion. Take care and we will catch you next time.